All right, well, we're going to look at a passage where it's kind of the passage where Jesus talks about counting the cost. So that's kind of going to be the big thing that we talk. We'll talk about a couple other things because whenever, whenever I'm reading through a teaching of Jesus, it's, he's always saying so much. There's so much we could do, but we're going to focus in on counting the cost. So I, was, I actually, yesterday the elders got together early, 6.30 in the morning. We were praying and we were praying through a lot of things and um, we were praying for the Global Missions Weekend. And I was just thinking about one of my friends is going to be here, a guy named Doug Radford. If you're part of things, you'll get to meet Doug. Doug's a great guy. And uh, Doug and I met, we went to Asia together, and we ended a trip in uh, India. And I was sharing this story with the elders yesterday morning, and I was like, oh, that actually kind of fits with what I want to say this morning. So I changed my intro just like that. You can do that when you're a pastor. And I was, so here, I I already told you this story, but you may have forgotten, but it fits really well, so it'll make sense. So, So I'm leaving India. Doug, like, and I don't know if it's just God's blessing and he's just having fun with me or he just wanted me to have this sermon illustration. But, but Doug, like, goes to, he, we had to change airlines and he, he's on a different airline and he just, his luggage just goes right through and he just, like, walks right through his security checkpoint. And I'm like, sweet. Because I got about an hour and a half, I think. But I go to my booth and there's a giant line just to get my luggage in. So I get through that. And then I go to the security checkpoint and, I don't know, 100 people ahead of I mean, it's just... Uh, I'm way back, and I'm looking at my clock, and I got under my watch. I got under an hour to catch my plane. But I'm like, okay, I've been through this. Sometimes these lines move faster, but this line was not moving at all. And I'm doing a lot of, we'll talk about this. I'm just trying to tell us to get you to think of your own, but I'm, I'm accounting. So I'm watching the clock. I'm looking at the time, how much time I have, where I need to be, how many people are in front of me, how fast I think this line is moving. And then I start to go beyond just the, just like everything that's happening, but, what, but what's at stake here? What's at stake is if I don't make my plane, I am probably trying to sleep on a chair in the airport in India until I can get a flight home. I don't want to do that. If I get on my plane, I get to go home and be with my lovely family and sleep in my own bed. I want to do that. So I'm watching and I'm thinking, I'm counting everything up, and I'm about, I don't know, 15 minutes from my plane departing, and I'm like, I've been praying, and I'm, I'm nothing. I'm not... So I say out loud, kind of in desperation, kind of to the guy in front of me, we haven't really talked at all, I'm going to miss my plane. He's like, when does it leave? I say 15 minutes. He's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> He's like, if I were you, I would cut to the front. I'm like, you can do that? He's like, yeah. So here we go. We're at this moment because we're going to talk about this, like moments of decision. So I'm at this moment of decision, right? Because I'm now, I now have, I, I, I've, I've kind of done some accounting. I know what's at stake, a night in the airport and longer in India, away from my family, family or a way to get home, away from my family, away from my family, or, or a night at home. But then I start thinking about what it's going to cost me to get what I really want. I've spent my whole life trying to not be a line cutter. I've spent a lot of my life judging people who I think cut in front of me. A couple kids cut on the cross-country course last week when Jay was, I was like, what are those kids doing? Bad kids cutting. But now I'm about to cut if I go through with this. But I want to get to my family. And I'm in another country. I don't don't really know how this works. And I'm envisioning, I'm like, excuse me, I'm going to miss my plane. And someone's like, stupid American. And then everybody's looking at me. And I just feel like, "Ah, do I want to go do, what do I, I got to do, I got to try. So I just duck under the rope. And I'm really like gentle, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to miss my plane. 
And they're just like, okay. I'm like, whoa, whoa, look at India. This is awesome. <laughs> it's like the Red Sea parted, and I got, I got right to the metal detector. I get through, and I book it. I'm running down the hallway, and I get to my plane, like, right at the last minute, and then they delayed an hour. So that was, <laughs> it really happened. But the point is not the delay. The point is being in those moments where you really are accounting. You're, you're taking stock of the whole situation, you're, and you have a clear decision ahead of you, and you're evaluating what's it going to take, what do I have to do, what could happen, what's it going to cost, but what's the gain on the back end, right? What do I get if I actually go, even if it, co- even if it costs a lot, what, is it worth it? I want you to be thinking about that as we journey together this morning. Luke chapter 14 we're in a series, if you're new to CrossFit, we're in a series on the church calendar. I think I'll talk, I'll, I'll, I'll remind us why we're doing that. I think next week I'll try to do that. Luke 14, verse 25, we were just kind of going through the Gospels. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. I told you, this is a fun passage. Your father and mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Oh. And then Jesus says, otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, we're, gonna, we're really going to journey through, try to figure out what exactly it is Jesus is saying. But he's really driving out what are things that get in the way of us actually being a disciple. What happens, I mean, what happens when we prioritize anything over Jesus, right? That, in essence, is what he's saying but I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I've told you, I, I, did, I, I mean, I'm not, it's a newer translation. A bunch of my professors, like four of them, are on the translating committee, so I wanted to try it. And the only way you get to know a translation is to try it. And I like it, and I still think if you're new to Christianity, I think I would recommend the New Living Translation as the best first Bible for you to buy in to begin with. Because, because the, even you'll see in this, they really work hard to help you understand what's being said. And if you're brand new to the story, it's great. But because they're doing it, sometimes they make translation choices, which they're allowed to do. And so they do that here in one way that I'm like, oh, I wish they hadn't done it. Verse 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate everyone else. Hate your family. Hate your mother and your father, your sisters and your brothers. Now, the reason I want to make that clear is because I want you to wrestle with what Jesus is saying. I just want that to sit out there. You know, you know Jesus is, is loving. And he's preached love your enemy, love your neighbor, right? Love God. But here he says, I want you to hate your family. Now, again, the translators are helping you understand what he means. But I don't want to rush too fast. I want you to be a part of the crowd and to hear this amazing teacher say something that shocks you. And I want you to be shocked by it. Because I want you to wrestle with it. Because I want you, with compassionate curiosity throughout this sermon, to be paying attention to what you're resisting and why. Because Jesus is saying this really strong so that you can find out, oh, I don't like that. Oh, well, why not? What is it about your family that's so important to you that's more important than Jesus? And now we're going to get to a place where we can do some work. You understand? Even what he says next in verse 27 is pretty shocking. I've tried to share this with you before, but we, where we sit 2,000 years after Good Friday and Easter, is we, we hear Jesus say, carry your cross, and we're like, well, of course, I got my necklace, and I'm carrying my cross. But I try to remind you that in the first century, crucifixion was ugly, grotesque, and brutal. 
And the average Roman citizen was embarrassed, embarrassed that this was a part of their culture. Crucifixion was invented to violently punish who Rome wanted to punish. I mean, primarily escaped slaves, runaway slaves, and anybody who challenged Caesar. Crucifixion. Rebellion, we're going to make a public example and shame you in the worst way we could possibly imagine. So if you read history from Rome, they don't write about crucifixion because nobody wants to acknowledge the big dirty secret. And Jesus, before Good Friday and before Easter, says, you want to be my disciple? Well, hate your family and carry your cross. Now that should shake you to the core. What is he talking about? It's the point. We're going to spend most of our time, we'll come back to this, but I'm going to finish reading the text, and we're going to spend most of our time with verses 28 to 33. But don't begin until you count the cost, thus what we're talking about. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's that person, that fool, who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Now, Jesus may just be telling a story, but I also think if you know the the Old Testament, if you know the, the story of the Jewish people, the history of God's people, can you think of a building project, maybe even a tower that didn't get finished? Maybe the Tower of Babel? Like, I don't know. I think that, that would maybe cross my mind as Jesus is telling the story. Verse 31, Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And, and even there, I think that would, all kinds of stories from the Jewish people. Verse 32, if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Two little stories. And then in case the first few things he said weren't hard enough, he ends this call to discipleship with verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. That's why I mean, that's a hard text, and I don't want to soften it for you. I want you to feel how hard it is. Jesus is, I mean, he's clearly making the case that if you're going to follow him, if you're going to allow him to be your teacher, if you're going to learn how to live like Jesus, how to be like Jesus, these other things, anything that gets in the way will prevent you from really being able to be a disciple. It's part of what he's seeing. He's, he's calling for allegiance. In a sense, it's a, it's a pledge of allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is primary, first place overall. In other words, Jesus is not a minimalist when it comes to commitment. <laughs> You're all in. And he's asking for it which says something about his own understanding of who he is because it would be crazy for any human being, mere human being, to say what Jesus says, but because Jesus is fully God and fully man, fully human. It it only makes sense because he's fully God and fully human. One of the authors, you know, even as you're wrestling with this, like, hate my family, you know, one of the authors I read said this, "If if you love your dog more than you love your spouse, It probably says less about the relationship you have with your dog and more about the relationship you have with your spouse. 
That's what Jesus is trying to get at. It's, it's not so much about your relationship with your family or your relationship with your things. But what's your relationship with Jesus? That's first and that's primary and that's where we begin. But again, these are hard sayings, strong sayings, and pretty direct. If you don't, then you're not. Which then could also make us think, well, then this is for the elite of the elites, and I'm not going to be a disciple. Again, we got to wrestle with this. we got to sit with this. So the first question I wanted to ask is, how is this good news? Hey, hate your family, hate your life, take up your cross and give away everything. How's that good news to you today? What, 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 what's going on here? And I, I was wrestling with this, even as I was trying, because I wanted to feel the strength of what Jesus is saying. But, but I keep coming back. Everything Jesus says is good news. It's gospel. It's good news. This is good news because the one that is speaking these words is the one who is good, and he wants to bring you into that goodness. For many of us, sometimes that's the first step in our faith journey. Maybe even this morning. Maybe you came just to explore Christianity. You don't know much about Jesus. But even this morning, as we're singing together, as you're fellowshipping, as you're hearing the word preached, something in you says, yes, this God is good, and he loves me. And he's for me. Maybe for the first time, Jesus on the cross makes sense. I'm a sinner and he died on the cross for my sins and he saved me. And something in you says, I want, I want, I want to be a part of that. There's a, there's, a, there's a step of faith that says, God is good. And I trust that he's good. Even if, even if I'm in the season of hard things, God is good. And maybe that's the decision. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity, wherever you're at in your journey, at the end of our message, to, to make a decision, to bring you to a point of decision this morning. Make a de- and maybe, that's your de- maybe your decision this morning is, God, you are good. You are love, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe that you're good. I was reading the story of one of our sisters in Christ. It was an author. She was writing her story about being in a difficult season of life. And she was talking with her family. She was having medical issues, and she was about to go through a surgery. And she said to her family, she said, before any of this happened, she says, we have to decide right now whether or not we believe God is good. Because if we wait to determine that by the results of this surgery, we will always keep God on trial. I think that's some of what Jesus is getting at. If you're going to keep God on trial based on the circumstances of your life and how things are going, you will struggle to be a disciple. You won't be, because you, but so a moment of, God, I, I believe that you're good. Hard things have happened, but I trust that you're good. Something's coming up and I can't control it, but I am going to believe and remind myself, you are good, you are good, you are for me. I'm going to remember that the clearest expression of the heart of God for me is Jesus Christ on the cross giving his life so that I can have life. That's who, that's who God is. He's good. So I know, I know, because I got back from sabbatical and I've been welcomed in. It's a privilege as a pastor. There's some hard stories in our church. But I want to remind you, church, God is good. And if life feels circumstantially good for you today, it might not be tomorrow, but God is still good. And God is working good in your life. So Jesus says hard things, but this is the Jesus who gave his life so that you can have life. He is good, amen? God is good. So I will say, and it's probably clear, but with hard sayings like this, 
I think it is the temptation for, and I'll say it this way, because it's the temptation for the American pastor to quickly soften what Jesus is saying so you don't feel uncomfortable. Because I think some of the stuff that's happening in our culture today, the way we're being formed by technology is we get bored, we feel some kind of pain or discomfort, awkward, and we, we immediately try to numb ourselves or ignore it or avoid it. I know this personally all too well. And there's, a, there's an instinct in me that's like, oh, I want to soften this right away. I don't want you to wrestle with what Jesus said because I'm afraid that if it's awkward, you'll tune out. But I didn't do that because ironically, I think Jesus says it this strongly. So you wake up. He's intentionally being strong and forceful to get your attention so that you pay attention. Like I said, when Jesus says, anyone who doesn't give up everything is not my disciple. If there's anything in you that resists that, you need to pay attention to it. Jesus is saying this to stir up, do I have an idol of wealth? Do I have an idol of possessions? Jesus is telling these stories, do I have an idol of reputation? Do I have an idol of family? Do I have an idol of success? What, what is my idol? And as Jesus says, thing, you can't be my disciple if these are above me and you're resisting it. Pay attention, compassionate curiosity. And we're going to have communion today. If the Spirit of God brings about something that you've prioritized over Jesus, you're going to have a chance to confess it and guess what? Be forgiven because God is for you. <laughs> and Jesus wants to show you and share with you his mercy because it'll change you forever. That's who God is. So I want you to hear, that's why I'm, Jesus says, hate your family. Just let it sit out there and you wrestle with it. And you, of course, he's, he's not saying that you should, you understand. You still love your family, but, but, but he's challenging you to think, is he above all? Now, I actually was going to say a bunch of stuff about family, but I only have so much time and I want to I hone in on the counting the cost part of this message. But I did want to say this because we're coming out of the pandemic and it's, it's kind of like this obvious turning point. I, I've heard over and over and over before the pandemic. Well, you remember before, I mean, just in any, I'll, I remember before the pandemic, it's just this turning point. So now we're at a turning point. So I think I've been talking to the elders and our staff team. It's, it's time to be re-envisioning where we're going, reminding us who we are. Now some of the opportunities that were closed to us are opening up again and we want to be a missional family here in DeKalb County. We want to be a family. That's one of the things I love. Some of you come from great families, and it's great. But I know a lot of you don't. I know a lot of you come from, in fact, a lot of you, I know stories. The hardest things that happened in your life happened in your family. So what do you do with this? Well, Jesus, this is the beauty of the church. As a pastor, I love these passages because I'm reminded Jesus is creating a new family. He's calling forth a new family. So if you're a part of a great family and you get to be a part of the church together, that's awesome. But if you're part of a hurtful family, then the church becomes the family you've always needed and always wanted but never had. And I think about that for Crossview. I, I want to be that kind of church because as I'm listening to where people are falling apart and souls are crushing, people don't have a place where they belong. I think this is true for all generations. We all want a place to belong. But I think, I mean, when I'm listening to the younger generations, I really hear this. I want a place where I belong. I want a place where I'm seen, where I'm known, where I'm valued. Well, the church can be that place. I want us to be that kind of place. 
I want us to be the kind of place where you're known and you belong and you're seen, but you also know others and you see others. That's why we'll be talking about Sunday school and small groups and the missions weekend and all this stuff, being together, being a family, sharing meals. Because if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, it happens in community. That's where it happens. But let's get to these two stories There are stories, you could call it the cost of discipleship, or I'm going to talk a little bit about Dallas Willard. You could also, I think, more correctly call them the cost of non-discipleship, and I'll make my point. I think these are stories about fools who have a chance to change. The, The builder's wealth is not sufficient, and he's quite possibly deceived by his surplus. And so he's, he's at a point where he must decide whether to admit it or to persist in his folly. Building a building he'll never finish. The king's army will never win and his 10,000 soldiers could easily lure him into complacency. But he has a moment, he has a moment right now where he can still ask for peace and avoid sending his forces into a brutal conflict that they'll never win. And as Jesus is telling these stories, he's inviting the crowds to follow, who are following him to sit down. And he's saying, do some accounting. Count the cost. Pay attention to what's going on. The cost of discipleship, but I think even more so the cost of non-discipleship. The two men in these stories are at risk of becoming fools in the full biblical sense, blinded by their prosperity or their power. And they're trying to live an unlivable life, a life of of fantasy, a life that's not real. We do this all the time. I I just trying to be I just try to be personal and vulnerable with you guys. So I was trying to think through. You know, you let these stories kind of illustrate. I mean, Jesus gives them for a reason. Illustrate what what's the tower that I'm trying to build that I don't have resources to finish. But I'm at the precipice of I'm, I'm just a fool who just keeps building, or am I going to stop and just run after Jesus? And I think there's, there's kind of two ways that I was thinking about this. One, I've told you, one of my core issues that I always go back to is I'm a people pleaser. I'm always trying to build the tower of approval and reputation. Man, it's exhausting. I'm going to tell you I don't have the tools, the resources, or the energies to finish this tower, but sometimes I, I keep trying to build it. Jesus is like, put, put those tools down and come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and my kingdom, I will build it with you. <laughs> you can participate with me in building the kingdom of God. Or I think the other tower, I was just thinking slightly different about this, but the other tower, or maybe the fantasy that I live in, and I'm formed this way by our culture, I need to be happy all the time. Got to be happy all the time. Do you know how much energy it takes to be happy all the time? And do you realize how much of a fantasy it is? I mean, I cannot keep myself happy all the time. I can't do it. Why am I trying? Because sometimes I try because I prioritize my happiness over Jesus. That's why. And so I hear teachings like this. Do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? I do. Why am I, why am I building these stupid buildings? And communion, it's a, communion we do, it's a chance to come back to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> covenant renewal, that's what you, it's covenant renewal, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm always here, I forgive you, let's go. <laughs> Love Jesus. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences, right? There are consequences, and I bear the consequences of my stupid decisions. We'll talk about, that's part of the cost of non-discipleship, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. 
So these are pictures of people trying to become well-liked or rich enough or powerful enough to secure a place for themselves. People who can't possibly pay the cost of the projects they've undertaken. People trying to gain security through their own resources and strength. Ambitiously building monuments to their own ingenuity and ability. And I, I shared some of my story. You need to wrestle with your story. I bet my story resonates with some of you, but not all of you. So you just got to compassionately curious. As, as Jesus says these hard things, you can't be my disciple unless I'm number one. Listen, what, what's get, what are you prioritizing over Jesus? Where have you drifted? Where have you drifted? And Jesus tells a story because he's giving us a chance. He's giving us, which of you will not first sit down and count the cost of building the tower? So sit down and count the cost. Stop running like a crazy person and slow down. I, when we finish, I'm going to give you a moment of silence just to slow down. Count the cost. Maybe you've been running, you haven't even realized that you've just drifted. Well, we're going to try to do that. Let's, let's God speak. Or, or you're entering into some conflict that you're just not going to... He's giving you a chance to make a wise decision for peace. Make a wise decision for peace. He's giving you a chance. Jesus is saying, stop your foolish pursuit of security and reputation before you go spiritually bankrupt. Can't you see you'll never be able to complete your project? You're being lied to. You're throwing your life away on a false dream that you'll never be able to pay for. Give up this foolish tower building and all this fighting and come follow me. That's the, that's the invitation. Follow Jesus. He's gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. Now I'm going to read. I, I, sometimes I read stuff and try to put it in my own words or paraphrase, but I just couldn't do it with this. So it's a longer quote than normal, but it's good. Uh, it's from Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy. And he's talking about this passage. He says, we want to correctly assess, well, he's also going to talk about the parables. If you know the parables of, of the man who finds the, this treasure in a field, and he sells everything he has so he can buy the field so he can have the treasure. Or, or the one who, who, who sells all they have to buy this precious per pearl of infinite value. So he's going to reference these things. We want to correctly assess the famous cost of discipleship of which so much is made. Do you think the businessman who found the pearl was sweating over its cost? Obviously, a ridiculous question. What about the one who found the treasure in the field, perhaps crude oil or gold? No, of course not. The only thing these people were sweating about was whether they would get the deal. That is the heart, that is the soul of the disciple. They want the kingdom. It's the greatest bargain they've ever seen, and they're all in. I wanted it whatever it costs, everything I have, I just want. I want what you're going to give me, Jesus, because it's better than anything I would manufacture on my own. In fact, everything I manufacture, it's flimsy. It's, it's, it's not the real thing. You give me the real thing. I manufacture a surface flimsy happiness that has no substance. You give me joy that is present even when I lament. That's what Jesus does. So Willard goes on to say, no one, and I want you to hear this. This is why I want to read this. No one goes sadly or reluctantly into discipleship with Jesus. Because you're so fascinated by Jesus and his kingdom. No one goes in bemoaning the cost because they understand the opportunity. Do you understand the opportunity of life in the kingdom of God? One of the things that has most obstructed the path of discipleship in our Christian culture today is this idea that it will be a terribly difficult thing that will definitely ruin your life. 
A typical and often told story in Christian circles is you don't want to surrender your life to God because he's going to send you someplace where you'll never, you never wanted to go, right? But here's the whole point of this much misunderstood teaching in Luke 14. And you could read the whole chapter. He does a lot of teaching on discipleship in this chapter, and it'll mess with you. It should. He wants to mess with you. Jesus famously says in Luke 14 that you must hate all your family members and your own life and take up your cross and forsake everything you own, or you cannot be his disciple. The entire point of this passage is that as long as one thinks anything may really be more valuable than fellowship with Jesus in his kingdom, one cannot learn from him. People who have not gotten the basic facts about their life straight will therefore not do the things that make learning from Jesus possible and will never be able to understand the basic points and the lessons to be learned. He says it's like a mathematics teacher in high school who might say to a student, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you can do decimals and fractions, you will not be able to do algebra. It's not that the teacher will not allow you to do algebra because you're a bad person, You just won't be able to do basic algebra if you are not in command of decimals and fractions. So this counting of the cost is not a moaning and groaning session. Oh, how terrible it is that I have to value all of my wonderful things less than I do living in the kingdom. How terrible that I must be prepared to actually surrender them should God call for them. No, no. The counting of the cost is to bring us to the point of clarity and then decisiveness. It is to help us to see counting the cost is precisely what the man with the pearl and the hidden treasure did. Out of it came their decisiveness and their great joy. It is decisiveness and joy that are the outcomes of the counting. What this passage in Luke is about is clarity. It's not about misery or about some incredibly dreadful price that one must pay to be Jesus' apprentice. There is no such thing as a dreadful price for this pearl of infinite value. Suffering for Jesus is actually something we rejoice to be counted worthy of. The point is simply that unless we clearly see the superiority of what we receive as his students over every other thing that might be valued, we cannot succeed in our discipleship to him. We will not be able to do the things required to learn his lessons and move ever deeper into a life that is his kingdom. You hear what he's saying? You won't be able to be a disciple if you value anything more than you value Jesus. Something will keep getting in your way and you won't be able to make progress. And what Willard is trying to remind us of in the cost of discipleship is about what we gain. We aren't just making crazy sacrifices for the sake of making sacrifices. We do make sacrifices in the name of love. But we often feel privileged to make those sacrifices. (laughs) Especially as we look at the life of Jesus. I mean, he did so much in the name of sacrifice, in the name of love. But disciples are people who realize that becoming a disciple of Jesus is the deal of a lifetime. The most phenomenal phenomenal bargain anyone could ever hope for. So, as I said, I want to kind of lead us into a time of counting the cost. I want to count the cost of non-discipleship first, because I kind of think that's where these stories are driving. We don't want to be fools. 
So I'm going to count the cost of non-discipleship, and then I want us to count the cost of discipleship a little bit, and what, what do we gain? What do we gain? So we want to add up the cost, how much you gain, and then we want to make the appropriate decision in light of everything at stake. Right? I, I, I mean, it's kind of a stupid illustration, right? But I'm in line. And am I going to risk cutting through everybody to be with my family? Or am I just going to, ah, it's not worth it. I'm just going to sleep on a chair in some airport in India. You know, what, what are we going to do? We've got to make a decision. And, and I, I'm, you know, we're all at different places on our journey. So, so for some of you, your decision might be for the first time for Jesus. Something stirring in you, Jesus, you're my Savior and my Lord. I believe you died on the cross and rose for my, for my, for my, for my life. Forgave my sins. Took my place. Maybe that's your decision. You're choosing Jesus. Maybe some of you are going to, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm committing to, God, I'm going to trust that you're good even when circumstances are different. Maybe you have other decisions. You, you, God will bring them up. But the non-disciple is someone who has something more important to do or undertake than to become like Jesus. That's the non-disciple. You've got, that's what the, t- you have something more important than Jesus. You, you have what did we talk about last week? Jesus is inviting you to the great banquet of the king. And the non-disciple has an excuse why they can't go. Ah, that's the night I can't go. That's the non-disciple. Something's more important. And Jesus, again, I'm reinforcing his strong language because he's trying to help you see if there is something more important. Is security or safety or comfort more important? Is your reputation more important? Is your wealth or your possession more important? Is your power more, more important? Is your sensual indulgence more important? Is, is, is your time more important? Is just not having to deal with conflict and just numbing yourself, is that more important? We all have stuff that becomes more important. And I wrote down a list for me. I mean, I don't know. For, non, for non-discipleship, I was trying to think, is this the cost or is this the gain or does it even matter? <laughs> but I made a list of the cost or the gain of non-discipleship in my life. When I've, when I've drifted, the cost for me, things I don't want. Apathy. Complacency. I find myself living with envy. I find myself dealing with pride. I find myself not knowing who I really am, questioning my identity, questioning whether I'm significant or valued. I find myself exerting so much energy to hide or, or, or to pretend to be who I think someone else wants me to be. It's exhausting. I find myself at the mercy of my own desires or living without purpose. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you find yourself living without divine guidance. Maybe you find yourself living without the promise of forgiveness. Deep discontent, relational fracture, just overwhelmed by shame. To me, that's the cost of non-discipleship. Or the gain or the loss or whatever you want to say. But that, when I find myself drifting from Jesus, that's what I see in my life. Now, is there a cost to following Jesus? There is. And he's alluding to it here in this passage. I wrote down, the cost of following Jesus is my time. My time is no longer mine. It's my money. It's my relationships. That's what he's getting at with family. It's my ambitions. It's I have to surrender doing whatever I want whenever I want. Not that I really can anyway, but I like to fool myself that I can. 
I have to surrender this illusion that I'm in control. It's the cost of following Jesus, but it's actually great because what is the gain? What is the gain of following Jesus? Well, assurance of forgiveness. I hope you experience that this morning as we move with communion. Fellowship with Jesus. He's the greatest friend you'll ever have. You'll never be alone. I was thinking about this. Because I do think our culture is forming us more and more to be spectators of other people's stories. I think one of the gains of being all in on discipleship is you will have your own stories to tell. And you will be the main actor in the story. Or Jesus will be the main actor working through you. You will have crazy stories to tell of what, the, what God is doing and how the kingdom is coming around you. It's a gain. You will have wisdom. You will have a family of brothers and sisters. You will have purpose in your life. You will have hope beyond this life. Because we are not a people of despair. We are a people of hope. If you're not a Christian and, and, and you make a decision to follow Jesus, you're counting the cost and you're, 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 you're seeing something for the first time of this treasure, the Holy Spirit of God, the moment you commit to Jesus, the, Holy, the presence of God, comes and dwells in your heart. You become a moving temple of the living God. It's crazy. That's a gain. These are the things that happen. You'll, you'll, you'll love who you are. You'll love how God has created you. You'll be able to love others from a full heart, from a cup that overflows. This is the gain. Your worry will increasingly fall away. You will worry less because you will know that God is in control. Psalm 23, you will, you will know that God is your good shepherd and he will provide everything you need today. Everything you really, not everything you think you need or think you want, but everything you really need and you really want, God will provide for you today. And you don't have to worry about tomorrow because you know he'll show up there too. You'll experience a power operating in your life that, that, that makes despair less and less prevalent and joy and peace will run through your soul, will run through your veins even on the hardest of days. And yes, as a church, we talk about this. We will lament together. We take sadness seriously. But somehow in Christ, joy can coalesce with sadness. And if you don't know what I mean, then I say follow Jesus and let him teach you. <laughs> Because it can happen. If you let him teach you his ways, be a disciple. Your thoughts and your feelings are transformed. And you'll see God at work in you and through you. Now, it won't happen all at once. That's why we talk a lot about being on a journey. And we talk about a pathway of discipleship, the narrow road. It doesn't happen all at once, but it will happen. And we will veer. We will veer. But in the same way, and I think I've said this before, but baptism is like the beginning of this covenant relationship, the beginning of this friendship. Communion is instituted by Jesus as something we do again and again as a covenant renewal. So, if, I mean, if today happens to be a great day and it's your first day committing to Jesus, well, some of, we'd love to hear about it. We want to be a family and celebrate that with you. But I know for most of you, you made that decision a while ago, but maybe there's a new decision to make to recommit to Jesus today, communion, covenant renewal, make that decision, make that commitment. Whatever it is that God is stirring in you. Counting the cost of discipleship means that we realize the prize is worth the price. 
once we see the treasure of the kingdom, it's easy for us to sell everything and buy the field. We don't go bemoaning, I got to sell everything. It's more like, you mean I can sell everything and have that? This is the greatest bargain I've ever seen in my life. I'm all in. Jesus would ask me to give up everything, to prioritize him above my family. I don't know how that could be good. I'm going to trust him. Oh, it turns out it's the greatest treasure I've ever found. What a bargain. What a deal. And we move forward in faith, even in the midst of demands and challenges from Jesus. We learn that it does cost a lot, but the benefits and the prize, the treasure far outweigh the cost. And if we do some honest accounting, the cost of non-discipleship is not worth it at all. So what I want to do now is just give you a moment. You don't have to do this because some of you, I know, some of you don't want to. But if you're willing, if you'll close your eyes and bow your head, you don't have to. Maybe you want to take out a piece of paper and pen and write something down. But I just want to talk for a few minutes and get you thinking. And then I'm going to give us a moment of silence because I don't know that we have enough of that in our lives. And we have time. And then I'm going to pray and then we're going to We'll have communion together. So we'll have a way to respond. And even if you want to enact whatever decision God is laying on your heart, you can do it. But I do, I want to tell you now, just if you make a decision, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. Let's celebrate that God is moving here in our church. But I just want to, first what I want to do is I just want to read these sayings of Jesus again with your eyes closed and your head bowed or if you have a paper out in front of you. And with compassionate curiosity, now that we've walked through this, I want you to try to pay attention. Is there anything in you that resists this? And if so, I want you to take note of it and try to pay attention to why. What is it that you're prioritizing above Jesus? So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else. Anything in you rejecting that? Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to embrace a path of suffering and death. (laughs) Is there anything in you rejecting that, resisting that? Just pay attention. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to give everything away. So I'll I'll shut up now and let you just kind of sit for just about a minute. Just pay attention. Is there anything that's taken first place? And, And what do you need to do? What do you need to say to Jesus to make sure he is first, that he's the priority? Jesus, you told these parables to bring us to a place of clarity to make a decision. 
What you're trying to do is to help us see our folly. To see these building projects that we've started that we can't finish. And honestly, it takes some vulnerability and some humility for us to say, yeah, I've been working on this. I've been trying to build this. (laughs) And I can't finish. I can't finish this project. But as we prepare ourselves for communion, we, we want to confess our idols. We want to confess the things that we've prioritized over you. Because we know you're good. Because we know you're gentle and humble. Because we know you already know, so what's the point in trying to hide? And because we know, we remind ourselves of the treasure of the gain. Because something deep down inside, the Holy Spirit is testifying that if we can confess that we will receive your forgiveness and you will do a work in us that changes us forever. And Jesus, we want to be changed and we've tried to change ourselves and we know it doesn't work, so we need you to change us. So hear our confession. Hear our plea. And meet us at the table of the Lord. In your name we pray.